You're listening to the Sooner Schooner Show, a member of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. And do us a huge favor. Please rate us five stars and write a review. That does a couple of things. One, obviously, the better ratings we get, the more Spotify and Apple Podcasts will boost us. That way, more people can find out the show uh, with a good review. Good word always travels very well. And people start to pick up on the show, and we would love you to help us grow as much as possible also. And I really do mean this. Constructive criticism is always welcome. You know, if we know how to improve and make the show better, we will. What, what, what you know, Whatever you ask, we will try and do to the best of our ability to give you what you want out of a show because that's what this is all about. It's all about serving you, uh, not placating my very fragile ego. So just... Please remember that. And to entice you, if you screenshot that review, screenshot that five-star rating, and send it, email it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, we'll give you a Heartland College Sports koozie because it's late time, it's pool time. Heck, maybe it's just sitting around the television right now and watching OU softball time. Either way, we want people to know that you have great taste in sports content and in podcasts by proudly displaying the Heartland College Sports logo. In fact, I'm not even eligible to win one because I work for the company. Only you're eligible to win one, so do that for us. Coming up on this week's show, OU moves one step closer to the SEC. We'll explain what that's all about. Also, the SEC may, in fact, have a scheduling model finalized by next week. And finally, is Deion Sanders a revolutionary, or is he just destroying college football? We'll get to that as well. All right, let's start off with OU moving closer, or at least one step closer to the SEC. And I got to tell you, when I talk about this stuff, I feel like I'm in an episode of The Simpsons. Back many, many years ago, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, The Simpsons did an episode that centered around the release of Star Wars Episode One when George Lucas decided to write and produce those really awful prequels. Although Revenge of the the Sith wasn't that bad, let's face it, The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones were absolute garbage films. And there's nothing you can do to change my mind on that. Sorry if you liked both of them, but they were pretty much garbage films. The Simpsons, as only The Simpsons could, picked up on that. And there there was this episode where Homer... Bart and Lisa went to see Cosmic Wars episode one and they go into the theater and they just wait and wait and wait as the Senate and Cosmic Wars has their big meeting. No action takes place whatsoever. And as they go outside the room, Lisa exclaims, who knew the ga- who knew that the gathering shadow was just Senate redistricting? That's what it feels like when we're talking about OU to the SEC. I'm tired of talking about the birth. Just show me the baby. Well, in order to get to the baby, the birth has to happen. So on Wednesday, or wait a second, on Thursday, I was about to say, I don't know why I thought Wednesday, but it's Thursday, the OU Board of Regents um, are voting to basically rubber stamp everything to get OU to the SEC. Now, they're going to do this in a, in a uh, closed-door session. In other words, they're going to do this in executive session um, because according to their attorney, Um, disclosure would seriously impair the ability of the board to process the claim in the public interest. All right, whatever. I don't care. Just get Oklahoma to the SEC. 
because that's where they rightfully belong is in the premier conference of college football. That's what OU is worthy of, and it's going to happen. Or at least we think it's going to happen. No, we know what's going to happen. It's just let's hurry up and get there as soon as possible. So they're going to get all they're going to get all this worked out. Then we get on to the important stuff. Now, this is key. You know, e- even if you're not really interested in board of regents meeting, this meeting next week you should be interested in because all the SEC dignitaries, okay, athletic directors, presidents, people that matter are going to meet out in Destin, Florida, and I'm sure they're going to drink a few beers, they're going to go hang out on the beach, eat a lot of seafood, but mainly the main issue that needs to get solved while they're down there, and it looks like it will get solved, is the new SEC scheduling models. And they are down to two types of models that could possibly happen. And just to refresh your memory, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, but in case you have forgotten, there is the eight-game schedule and there is the nine-game schedule. And by schedule, I mean conference schedule. So you get the eight-game conference schedule and the nine-game conference schedule. The eight-game conference schedule, if the SEC said, all right, four non-con games and eight conference games, Here's how this is going to play out. Means that OU would get one opponent annually. So every year, one team on the schedule, they're playing them. Okay? And, and most likely, that's that's going to be Texas. Because the SEC, for a couple of reasons. One, it's an extremely unique rivalry. As long as it is, as it is held down in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, as long as it is that 50-50 split, you've got the backdrop of the State Fair of Texas, there is no way that the SEC doesn't want to be part of that spectacle. And even though the SEC likes to act, and we'll just call them they for a second, we'll just pretend OU's not a part of the SEC or not a part of the SEC yet, even though the SEC likes to look down their nose at all the other conferences and all the other traditions in college sports, the one they would most love to be a part of is OU Texas because there you can't compare it to anything. There's nothing to compare it to. Now, they will try and compare it to Georgia v. Florida, which is in Jacksonville, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. They don't even call it that anymore, but and, and, and quite frankly, that's a little hypocritical. I mean, it's the SEC. Can you think of a conference that embraces liquor more than the SEC? No, I can't either. And you know what? They said proudly, proudly call it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But as great as that is, you don't have the state fair. You don't have the roughnecks. You don't have the silver spurs. You don't have people taking off on Friday, driving down from Norman or wherever in Oklahoma, stopping at Marietta to hang out with our brethren at WWLS and get a Bevo burger, and then driving the rest of the way down to Dallas to get you know, hammered on Friday and then wake up at 11 o'clock on Saturday to go watch a football game and drink more beer, only to feel worse when, when you come out. Win, win or lose. Actually, if you win, even if you're hungover, you feel elated. That headache doesn't hurt near as bad. But the SEC certainly wants to be a part of that. So if it is an eight-game schedule, just know that Texas is going to be the built-in game every year. And and if that doesn't happen, I, I think we'd all be in shock. However, just real quick on that, I did a poll this week for my show, The First Word, which is the one I do right before the Pat Jones Show. 
And again, I know Twitter polls aren't scientific, but I put it out there. If, if OU had only one SEC opponent that they would play every year, just one, who would you want it to be? And I give the choice, Texas, Arkansas, LSU, Alabama. Texas won. Now, it got over 60% of the vote, but that wasn't near as overwhelming as I expected it to be because of how interwoven the OU-Texas game is into our culture here. I fully expected that to be like a 90% winner and then everything else be split up. A lot of people voted Arkansas. One, in Tulsa, we've got a ton of Arkansas alumni and a ton of Arkansas fans. So I can see why they would vote for that. Also, I can see why OU fans in Tulsa would vote for that because uh, it's easy to tra- easier to travel to Fayetteville from green country than it is from central Oklahoma. So I so that would explain what, why that may have gone that way. A lot of a lot of folks wanted Alabama, and my theory on on the Alabama thing is this, and why some OU fans may want Alabama on their schedule. And we'll get to the the nine games scenario in a second is that OU fans are still looking for a Nebraska replacement. If you're of a certain age, God, I hate saying that, but you almost have to now. So my age or older, that Nebraska game was special to you because you grew up in the 70s and the 80s watching OU Nebraska play in November on Thanksgiving weekend under gray skies, and generally on the line was a Big 8 championship and a trip to the Orange Bowl. And there was this respect between OU and Nebraska that didn't really exist among OU's other opponents. It didn't exist amongst oh, it doesn't doesn't exist amongst Oklahoma State. And with Texas, that's just pure hate. Nebraska, you disliked them because they were your antithesis, and Osborne and Switzer were very different people. But heck, you still kind of there was something about them you were you were all right with. And not to mention, you played in the game of the century back in 1971. OU's been looking for that opponent. And I think a lot of people feel that Alabama could be that replacement. Because Alabama and OU, I think from OU fans' perspective, there's a lot of similarity between the fans and a lot of similarity between the programs. National championships, colors, um, tradition. They're both football blue bloods. It, It just makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Now, so you want to tangle with Alabama right now every year? Probably not. Not until they can get up and going and be a lot better than six and seven. So that brings us to the nine-game schedule. And the nine-game schedule would be, as we said, three opponents. So you get three opponents every year. So it could be Texas for sure, and maybe it's A&M, and then maybe it's Arkansas, or maybe it's Missouri and A&M, or maybe it's Missouri, Texas, and LSU, whatever, and then you would rotate six opponents. So the first one, eight-game schedule, one team every year, rotate seven opponents every couple of years, three teams every year, rotate six opponents every two years. And for the most part, the nine-game schedule, schools like OU, Texas, LSU, are all in favor of the nine-game schedule, Georgia, Florida, most likely Tennessee, in favor of the nine-game schedule. Your Mississippi State, your Ole Misses, not so much, and Alabama is one of those who's in that Mississippi State Ole Miss group, Vanderbilt, go ahead and include them, Kentucky, South Carolina. Alabama does not want to play a nine-game conference schedule because they're afraid they're going to get stuck with Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU 
because LSU and Tennessee consider Alabama to be their biggest rivals, and the SEC would love for those teams to play each other because those are premier matchups. You can have them on ESPN in primetime. You can make a lot of money. The ratings will be good for that. And Alabama's like, no, look, if you want us to play Auburn every year, great, but we don't want to play LSU and a good Tennessee every year because that hurts our opportunity to win a conference championship and it hurts our opportunity to get into the playoffs. Will these other schools be able to tell Alabama to go pound sand? That remains to be seen. And the other thing we don't know is just how powerful Alabama's voice will be in that meeting. Alabama holds a lot of sway, but does it hold enough sway to where Georgia, Florida, and some of these other schools, let's just say Tennessee, go, okay, you're right. It's ridiculous. We'll play four non-cons, and we'll only play eight conference opponents. You play nine, and I think it almost guarantees you about three teams from the SEC will get into the playoff every year, and that's certainly beneficial for everyone in the conference. So you should play nine. Because you have to look at it that way. I mean, that's the really big picture is how does a rising tide lift all boats? And strength of schedule, which will become a huge deal, in my opinion, it always is a big deal when the committee gets together, but an even bigger deal in the 12-team conference playoffs, you want as many quality opponents as you can get. Now, with that, and i got to mention this, the SEC right now requires opponents to play at least one Power 5 school in their non-con. There is some speculation that maybe that goes away in a nine-game conference schedule. And if that does, I'm cool with it. And especially for OU as they start to get their their sea legs back, OU could play a non-con that consisted of like what they have this year, where you've got Tulsa, SMU, Arkansas State. I'm good with that. We're probably all good with that as OU gets their sea legs back. Once they get their sea legs back, then you start adding the Power 5 opponents. And you don't just go right to USC as much as we want to stick it to Lincoln Riley or right to Ohio State. Maybe you go after Minnesota. Maybe you go into the the, the ACC. You tangle with North Carolina. Maybe uh, if, if you're hitting to the – if you want to play people in the Big 12 – you know, maybe you play Texas Tech. I know North Carolina is a step up from Texas Tech, but it just I think it kind of just depends on where you are as a program and obviously who you can get scheduled. But for me, a perfect non-con for OU in a nine-game schedule is what they're playing this year. Now, if they're going to play, look, if you're going to play only eight conference opponents, then yeah, I say mix in a Power Five. And remember, it doesn't have to be a blue blood. It just has to be another Power Five school. Because you don't want to get beat up because playing in the SEC is tough enough as it is. You don't want to go nuts in that non-con. And you want to be healthy and ready to go by the time that the playoffs roll around where where potentially everybody you play is going to be a blue blood. So hopefully all that gets ironed out in the next couple of weeks. And what it means for us as the fans is we're about to go on one hell of a ride. You know, I don't know if you're as excited as I am about this, but I am thrilled beyond all belief to think that coming to Norman, in Norman, like LSU is actually going to come to Norman at some point in my lifetime. You know, Alabama's already been there, but, you know, and Tennessee's already been there, but Georgia, Georgia's going to come to Norman. Florida's going to come to Norman. We're going to get to go down to, to Oxford 
and we're going to get to go to the Grove as visitors and look at that great tailgating experience. And yeah, for me, it is a lot about the experience as much as it is about the game. Because when you think about it, that's what you really remember. Okay, yeah, you remember the games, but you remember the experience and everything that went on around the game because of what football is in our culture. That's what college football is, man. It's a, it's a family reunion every single Saturday, or it's a clash reunion, or it's a fraternity or a sorority reunion. That's what makes this sport so special that you just don't get in any other sport. It's really not like that in basketball, not college basketball. I love the NBA, but there's no you know family kind of atmosphere around that. You're not really tailgating prior to games. You might tailgate in the NFL, but it's a much different feel. Now this is special. This is something. This is something big. And 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 as, and as cool as you know all the on the field competitive recruiting and all that is, which we talk about all the time. These are the things that you, that you cherish. These are the things that that you as a fan really remember. You remember going down to Baton Rouge and you know not drinking a sip of water for four days and just pounding alcohol like it's going out of style. You wake up in the morning with a crawfish omelet and a bloody mary, and then. At noon, it's it's burger and a beer. You got your five o'clock cocktail, and then you're back eating the crawfish at Tuffet at night and cramming down, you know, a fifth of Jack Daniels while you're doing it. <laughs> so that's it. That's life. Life in the SEC. Embrace it. Learn it. Love it. I don't know if you really want to embrace where we're going in college football, though. And I do wonder. All right, you want a little like hardcore college football talk? Here it is. I wonder what's going through the minds of Bill Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray, or any other college coach that's an assistant right now wanting to be a head coach at some point in their time. I wonder what's going through their head when they look over at Deion Sanders and they see 56 players have left Colorado via the transfer portal. And it probably just went up as I said those words. So just like there should be a ding. Another player leaves Colorado because that's that's what happens. Dion is trying to do everything he can to put a fresh spin on this, saying that, okay, you guys think this program's in crisis. Wait till you see the guys that we are bringing in. And if Dion has success with this, it starts the domino effect of other coaches going to other programs and doing the exact same thing. And if all you care about is winning, that's fine. But that is not what college football is about. I understand that Deion Sanders didn't recruit any of those kids that left. I get that. I understand that that is a guy coming into a program that was 1-11 and telling guys that they couldn't play, thinking that these kids weren't very good, and and, and, and he runs them off. I mean, Deion is, do, Deion is running kids off. They're not all quitting because they don't like Deion Sanders. Some of them are being forced to quit. Some of them are being told, you don't belong here. I have a problem with that. Because you're shoving kids into the transfer portal, and they may not have a place to go. If you're telling a kid he's not welcome at your school, and that kid goes to class, and that kid shows up for practice, and he does everything that you ask him to, and he prepares every single day like he's going to play a game on Saturday whether he does or not then you owe that kid a scholarship you owe that kid an opportunity to continue to play 
at, at Colorado or, or wherever. And Deion Sanders isn't giving him that. And if you and if you think, hey, I need to free up a scholarship. This kid's not good enough. He's not going to get much time on the field. He'll be lucky if he plays special teams. Last staff screwed up. Then pick up the phone. Pick up the freaking phone and call another school and say, hey, man, I got a guy here. I think he'd be perfect for you. You send the practice film. You send the game film. Whatever you have for that kid. But you do your best to make sure that this kid has a landing place. And Deion Sanders isn't doing that. Deion Sanders is running it like it's an NFL franchise. He's not doing it the way you're supposed to in college football. You're not supposed to run kids off. I know it happens. And I know it happened at OU during the Schnellenberger era because one of my friends who played there uh, played at OU during the Schnellenberger era flat out told me. He's like, yeah, oh yeah, they'd wake kids up early in the morning, make them go run stairs, and they didn't want them. Uh, they wouldn't tell them they would have to quit, but they would do everything they could to make their life miserable so they would, so you'd have that extra scholarship to give to somebody that they wanted. Dion's using the transfer portal in reverse. And maybe you could say, well, that just evens the playing field out because kids can leave with any reason. That's a fair argument. Like I'll, I'll listen to that argument all, all day long. But I don't think we want these kids to end up without a landing spot. And it's one thing if a kid chooses to go on his own and say, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to try my luck. And you're kind of looking at the kid going, man, I don't I don't know if you're good enough to get another scholarship. Well, if he does it and he makes that decision, that's on him. But if you shove him out the door, that's on you. And I would hope, whether it's Bill Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray, any coach on the OU staff, if you ever get that opportunity to run a program, run it with care. You know, understand that you are messing with people's lives, and that's not something that should be taken lightly. Deion Sanders seems to be taking it lightly. I would hope college coaches would learn from him and not take it near as lightly as Dion is. Because let's face it, no one completely pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps, okay, if you're a college athlete, yes, you've got all the talent in the world, but there was somebody there to coach you. There was a parent there to get you to practices. There was maybe a grandparent that could take you to games when mom and dad were working. There was a teacher that pushed you in the classroom. Okay, you had a mentor. You had somebody along the way to help you get where you are. And when that rug gets pulled out from under you, well, then you need somebody else to give you an opportunity. And if you like say, we you create your own opportunities. No, I have the talent, but somebody has to give me the platform to perform on. And in college football, it's not like you can just make a YouTube video and be like, hey, look at me here. I'm playing college football. No, you actually have to have a team and a school to go to. So, Dion, learn and listen, or listen and learn, however that is. And, God, man, I just I hope people do not follow in your footsteps. That wraps up this week's show. Thank you very much for listening today. Do me a huge favor. Please rate us five stars. Give us a review. We got we need a big-time review on you. Again, good, bad, constructive criticism, welcome. We want to get better for you. And until next week, may God bless you and your family, as the great Jackie Moon always says. And to paraphrase, rock and roll, Hall of Fame inductee Don Cornelius, love, peace, and sports. <laughs>